Welcome to the All About Digital Marketing podcast. The show all about digital marketing, digital marketing, digital marketing, digital marketing. Brought to you by Socialink, digital marketing agency specializing in social media and content marketing for brave brands and forward thinking SMEs. I'm your host, Chris Bruno. And as always, we're here to bring you the most actionable tips, tricks, tools, and insights to help you achieve more when it comes to your digital marketing. Subscribe to the show and be sure to share with a friend if you found something useful or interesting. You can find all the show notes and more information on www.allaboutdigitalmarketing.co.uk. Nadim, thank you so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure, Chris. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm looking forward to this because we've got lots to talk about today. But before we jump into that, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you're currently doing, and also a little bit about the history and your journey to get here? Okay. Um, where did I start off? Uh, uh, I was originally a market researcher. I started a, a, an agency in London in the 1990s. It became the biggest in the world. I sold it to WPP. Um, and then was part of the team that ran Millwood Brown and Research International for a while. And I hated it. And I left the industry. I thought, no, not for me. I was grateful for it having made me some fame and fortune, but it wasn't for me. And I, with my ill-gotten gains, took off to an island that I had weirdly bought off the west coast of Ireland. I'm half Irish, half Egyptian, which doesn't really account for it. But anyway, that's the reason I use and um, and I decided to start a brand there. So I, I, I founded um, something which very happily won the Mobius Global Award for Best New Brand. And it was it was such good fun. We we talked about living life at a tilt, um, and we had a tilting whiskey bottle for our whiskey product, and we had food. You know, I used to say that every fish that we served you, I looked in the eye in the sea before we brought it on board. And music as well. We created, you know, we had musicians on the island creating albums, which did really well as well. So uh, I, I kind of had a market research phase, and then I had a brand founding and managing phase. And then wh- where I am now is that I realized that I should really be able to bring those two parts of my understanding together, you know, the analysis of brands and then the action of brands. And um, ab- about... 10 years ago now, I started a, a consultancy which tried to understand what it is that causes brands to succeed. Because we live in a time of competitive convergence where, at a functional level, most products and services operate at parity. So what is it that drives one brand to be much better than another or more successful? And it turned out to be relationships. And we got to that through anthropology and sociology and psychology and neuroscience and a load of stuff that took me way longer than I thought it would do. And so we... we had an IP, an intellectual property framework that helped us to understand how brands can succeed. And I wanted to turn that into a technology, which would then be available um, at low cost to hundreds and hundreds of brands rather than like five brands that are owned by massive corporations. So I was no longer interested in having enterprise as the people that I dealt with, but I was much more interested in the SME market it's really interesting that the 2021 census in the US, which has just come out in the business part of it, it is identified that there are more than 12,000 brands created every day, every single day in the US alone. I every mean, every day, every single day. It's, it's an extraordinarily 
fertile thing, brand creation and brand marketing. So I was just thrilled that I, I had this opportunity to bring this intellectual property into life as an SME technology at low cost, which lets founders of brands who are often, you know, CEOs or product visionaries and who may not be, you know, absolute experts at marketing have available to them through artificial intelligence, a whole wisdom about running brands and a whole means of running a brand that's really effective. You know, it's just, it's another tool in the, in the enterprise locker, but it's been quite late coming to marketing and, and we are the first to do that. You know, ProQuo, as we're called, ProQuo AI, offers certainty of positive outcomes from marketing investments. Easy thing to say, bloody hard thing to achieve, but, you know, it's taken AI in 10 years to get there. So that was a lovely short introduction, wasn't it, Chris? Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know where to start or what bits to pick up on first. Um so that first of all, like being able to actually take that time, and you said it took a lot longer than you were expecting, and I can imagine it would, but taking that time to really dig deep and research and to look at all these different brands, that must have been fascinating at the same time. Like I can imagine it was a laborious task to a certain extent, but I imagine it to be absolutely fascinating. It was amazing. And, and we deliberately did it all around the world. We worked in, you know, India and Mexico and Japan and Brazil and, you know, of course, the States and the UK and most of Europe as well, some of Africa. In many, many different categories, and 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 eighty five percent of the world's spoken languages in the end, um, on on over a thousand brands in different categories. And when we knew that the IP worked, like no matter where you were, which is lovely because we are all humans, you know. Forget about race or or creed or anything else. We we basically have fundamentally human instincts, all of us. And and it was an interesting thing for me. One of the biggest early learnings was that brands are relationships and relationships happen principally at a subconscious level so one of the big challenges we had was industrializing means of accessing our subconscious we're kind of industrial mind readers i suppose you could say um and that that involved taking techniques which had previously mainly been used in laboratories and and making it a, you know a hugely volume gain. We've, we've had more than 100 million readings of people's minds now through our technology. So that that was a big deal. Yeah, I'm blown away by this. So I've got loads of questions. We, we promise you, for the audience listening, we will go back to some brand stuff in a second. <laughs> what was, can, can you share some of like the biggest, not necessarily shocks, but the biggest kind of insights that you kind of took, that you took away from that, but more importantly, the ones that kind of shocked you the most? that you kind of learned from that, like those parts that really have that impact and those things like you're mentioning about, you know, on a subconscious level, what were some of the things that really stood out from, from that research? Gosh, I wish I, I wish I had some really juicy stories for you, but maybe, <laughs> maybe they'll just sound a little bit prosaic and actually some of them are a little, little bit obvious. Like we discovered when we were looking at premium beers that um, if you intensify aspiration in a brand, People often are drawn to it. I mean, not always and not for all circumstances. And so a brand grows to a particular size and the brand owner says, well, you know, this is brilliant. You know, with, with this amazing entity that we've created, this brand that everybody wants because it's so aspirational, we should easily get distribution now. And then you go, not so fast, sunshine, because some things about brands are diametrically opposed so the more you increase ease of access, which is really what distribution does, 
the, the more you damage your aspirational value, which is why you see some brands appear you know, out of nowhere and everybody wants them until they're available everywhere and then nobody wants them um, because it turns out all that there really was was a kind of rarity value that um, we really liked. So, I mean, I, I guess in retrospect, that's really obvious, but it was painted so plainly for us by, by some of our data. You say it's really obvious, but actually it's probably one of those ones where lots of people now are just going like, oh yeah, that makes sense, doesn't it? Because obviously you you do know that the luxury brands and everything else, you know, if they were available in every Walmart in the US or every Sainsbury supermarket in the UK, they wouldn't be those premium luxury brands and they wouldn't have that same sort of appeal and they wouldn't have that same kind of following. So I do find that interesting. Anyway, we'll, we'll go back now and actually we will get into some marketing chat then other than just talking about the research, which I found fascinating. But um, so when it comes down to this, and obviously we know that every company out there should be looking after themselves, they should try and create some form of brand. But also, I think a lot of people don't realize is that we all have a brand, whether we try to or not. And I think this is something that a lot of people not necessarily struggle with, but maybe don't take into account and then don't put enough effort into. Would you say that's true? And that's, that's something that you've seen, especially with startups where time resources are a little bit shy? I, I do, and I, I'm sure you're not doing it in a, in a judgmental or critical way, and neither am I in saying this, but it, it's absolutely true that if you start a business, which is, you know, what a brand is the packaging around, if you like, um, there are so many things to do, like where are you going to be based? Have you sorted out your lease? Have you got insurance for your employees? You know, is, is your national insurance being paid on time? I mean, uh, quite apart from, you know, is my supply chain secure? What the logistics of delivery? I mean, it's it's enormous. The amount of stuff you need to deal with in creating a branded business is is huge. And so, you know, what tends to happen, I think, in, in the kind of early phases of SME brands especially, is that you attend to all the things without which you would fail. If you don't get it to the the... the retailer you know you're going to fail because your cash flow is going to fall over and so on so uh, marketing is kind of done in a typically is done in a kind of intuitive reflexive way like mm, a lot of people saying our packaging looks a bit shitty we may as well you know we better iterate that um Oh, you know, I thought we could have it in black and white but actually it clearly needs red because everything else in the category you know so you, you start changing your packaging which is perhaps a long way of saying that I think though it is of critical importance that a brand is in tip-top shape to put forward the enterprise it represents in the optimal fashion and to give it the greatest chance of having success, the skills needed to create a really world-class brand are not typically available to the founder, CEO, or even to a team of people that are not going to be paid the biggest amount in the world and, you know, will be perhaps less experienced, you know, taking a less secure job, but seeing it as an opportunity. So you kind of get this nexus of um, lack of experience, lack of resource. And, and that, that is where we work, actually, because we, we bring in a specialized kind of accumulation of marketing wisdom distilled into a piece of software that anybody can, can use. And it is remarkable to me that out of the hundreds of brands that we have using ProQuo software to run their brands, about 80% are principally looked at by the CEO. And it's not to see whether they're making more money. It's to understand their brand and to hear from the AI the sorts of decisions they should take next. So 
we're serving a really big need that that is um, endemic to creating and running youngish brands. I would count anything kind of under five years, even under ten years, as a youngish brand. It's interesting because it, it, like you said, there's a catch twenty two, right? Of you need the experience, you need the time, you need the resources, you need the money. Uh, you also need a team. Like it's no longer, it's you know, it's not like it was. I'd say show my own age, but what fifteen years ago before social media was a huge thing and before we had so many of these blasted platforms to have to deal with, et cetera. But, you know, you had your website and that was a big deal at the time. And then we added in Facebook and the Google pluses and the YouTube channel and the, the, and every single thing requires a specialism. You know, even us as an agency, we're not specialized in everything. We don't work directly in digital PR. We use other people to help us with SEO for content. We, we rely on people that are, top class podcast editors adam if you're listening as you're editing this thank you the the idea being though that there is so much to try and do and to try and cover right that it's i think it's almost impossible uh for a small business to even be able to to take on the 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 challenge of marketing successfully you've got to choose sort of limited amounts of things you've got to really sort of use that limited resources and how you can do it so i guess my question is and this isn't to, to allow you to plug it, but I am genuinely intrigued. How does the system work in the sense of helping companies to, to really identify what it is that they should be doing, where it is that they need to be focusing and, and kind of understanding those elements? Uh, well, I'll, I'll describe it generically, really, because, I mean, anybody could do this, but, you know, good luck. It's, uh, it's, a, bit of a, it's, a, it's a bit of a complex one. It's what's called hard tech, by the way. I don't know if you're familiar. There's, there's deep tech, which is um, where you go away into sort of laboratory situation you kind of invent some solution like you come up with a moon scooter and you arrive in the world and say i've got a scooter that can take you to the moon and everybody says well it's no good there's no bloody oxygen up there so we can't go you know that's what deep tech can do of course it produces brilliant things hard tech is where you you bring together many different things all of which are pointed at a particular solution from the start like it's hard to market a brand when you don't have resources and all the things we've already talked about um, so there you need to understand what drives brands, so sociology, psychology, neuroscience, um, anthropology as well. You need you know, software engineers who understand AI that can kind of crash huge amounts of data together and find causative links and so on. So we're, we come from the hard tech area where we were always aimed at trying to create a piece of software which would allow brand marketers to have much greater certainty of growth, essentially. That's what we do. And the way that we do it is, um, is through analysis and action AI. We've kind of almost got two AI engines. The analysis AI basically looks at every category and says, in the category of baby food, these are the things that people look for and need, and, and the competitive brands to you answer those needs in these different fashions, and your brand operates in this way, therefore looking at it all, Here's a gap. Here's a, an equation which could work for you. Passes that over to the action AI that says, do you know what? There are only about 14 things that all marketers do. And it's true. We, we call them levers. It's, there's distribution, merchandising, innovation, communication, packaging. And I won't go through all 14, but there are about 14. And with each of those, there's a, a lever action. So let's say price is the lever that you want to pull in your category. You can put it up, you can keep it the same, you can put it down. Do two-for-ones, you can do family pack. It goes on and on. And the terrifying thing that the data scientist said to me quite early in our kind of discovery was that if you 
take those 14 levers with all the combinations of actions and you put them together and say, how many combinations are there that a brand manager could select to have certainty of growth in the course of a year? The answer was over 2 billion. Right. It's ridiculous. I mean, none of us have any chance. We have no chance of logically working out the best combinations because it's beyond even our clever brains. And so what we did really was to find causative links between an action and an outcome. That's what decision intelligence is, and that's what we're in the business of doing. So we provide to marketers decision intelligence that says, we know that if you do X, Y will result. And, and it comes from just understanding hundreds of thousands of data points across the marketing cycle, across these 14 levers. Um, and, and at the end of the day, what, what our product does, and other people might do it differently, is it provides you with an action plan. So you can just kind of click the button and say, what am I meant to do? And it says, we recommend you do X, Y, Z. Um, and then it gives you step-by-step guidance in trying to achieve that. Which, of course, you know, if you, if you don't have huge resources like enterprises do, um, you know, bigger enterprises, and if you don't have loads of experience, and actually if you're trying to get a lot of other stuff done as well, it's brilliant to have something that just says the recommended actions with pretty well certainty of growth are these, and then you can choose to execute them in the way that you want. Well, what's good for you and also probably bad for me is the fact that unlike where we've done a lot of articles and content to try and help people with ideas and ways to try and distill this and figure out what they should do next, but you're actually doing this 100% off data points. Yeah. And that's where it becomes far more interesting. The data doesn't lie. And you know, we, we've always talked about this with clients when we first meet them. We can't guarantee you any results. Right, that's the first conversation. Like we know how to do it. We've done it. There's some examples of where it's worked really well. But we also tell the truth, unlike quite a few marketers who, you know, will only talk about that one time it went really, really well, and then they'll forget about all the times they tried and it didn't work at all, let alone uh, not as well. But it's something that's really interesting because as marketers, basically what we are constantly doing, or as a small agency or even other people that we talk to in the industry, we're just constantly trying stuff. And you're like, that That worked really well. This has a lot of impact. That has That's worked really well for another company or in the same sector or in a different sector, but could be translated. And I think that's where this becomes really interesting, being able to give people more solid ways of understanding what they should potentially be doing and not necessarily copying what their competitors are doing. That's something I think that as well, I think it comes from a frustration, lack of time, lack of resources. It's easier to look at somebody else and say, Let's do what they're doing. That seems quite clever, and it means that we don't have to come up with a plan in the first place. Um, but yeah, so I think that's really interesting. And again, the data points give it a validity that is is huge. I haven't actually seen anyone doing this. And I guess from my point of view, I'm looking at this and thinking, so I'm guessing like the data points wise and everything else, you're taking everything from keyword traffic data on for, for search. You're taking pricing from products. You're taking... How does that work? How do you pull in that kind of that kind of info? And is it constantly being updated as well? It is. It's an it's an always on platform. So when you start a subscription with us, the the data begins being collected that day, and it's through daily interaction. So it's a variety of data. I'll tell you about the variety of data. the The first thing we do is we have our proprietary way of understanding how brands operate, the analysis AI, and those human drivers that that cause brands to have success through good relationships. We do that through daily interactions with people um, where we we access through our neuroscientific technology what they're feeling about the brands. Because the, the, the terrible thing about us clever humans is 
As soon as we translate a feeling into a thought and articulate it, we've gone from what's called system one to system two, and we've gone from subconscious to conscious, and we're, we're now obscuring stuff with our words, even though it seems quite clever to articulate them. Um, and feelings are, are quite often different from thoughts. You know, they, they, you feel one thing, but you say a different one, not, not because you're trying to be misleading, but just that's the way we operate in our societies. So we, we access, first of all, those feelings every day. We also, because we understand that humans are clever and also have thoughts, we also ask them to express their thoughts. And on that, on both those things, on the feelings and the thoughts, we put artificial intelligence to work. So it is a keyword thing. It's natural language processing that we do. Um, we've de- developed quite clever ways of doing that. You know, most NLP looks at the themes. So people are saying value for money or ingredients or, you know, distribution's rubbish or something like that. And we do that. But we also have taught the AI to to put it together as drivers. So our drivers are things like, you know, what drives people to have good relationships, things like aspiration, things like value for money, things like empathy, you know, relatability, um, there's, a, there's a whole variety of things, a sense of innovation and so on. There, there are 16 of those, broadly speaking. And so our NLP processes, everything that people say into those 16 drivers as well. So when we show you, you know, your brand needs more aspiration and empathy, we can then also show you why people are saying that and the sorts of things that they're doing. So that's the first part. The, the first big ingestion of data is the accessing of people's feelings and thoughts every single day. Um, the second part is ingesting whatever data a company has about its business. So we spent, you know, 50 grand on this medium, um, or we, you know, we're out of stock for those two weeks, or, you know, what, whatever it is that, that's going on um, in a company. We then also ingest from other data sources like Nielsen, not in every case, but where, where the subscriptions allow that. Um, and we look at the household data. You know, we know how often things are purchased and, you know, what the cycles are. And the, the more data points we get, the more we can crunch. And then we include Twitter feeds. We'll, we're going to be moving on to, to other platforms as well. Um, but it, uh, And then finally, we, we put in what we call events data, like, you know, was the Euro 2020 match on those two weeks? You know, were, were there matches on those two weeks? And did that affect the way people were talking about Indian food? because they're all up near Wembley and going to the local, you know, and so on. So it's a kind of mixture of fairly deep neuroscientific stuff and some really obvious daily stuff that, funnily enough, people mostly overlook, but really matters. Um, and between all of those things, you, you get what is technically described as sensor fusion, where you've got lots of different inputs and you calibrate them to see what... So Twitter's nearly always a bit miserable because people just go there to complain. And you know that. So you don't give too much weight to that. And you calibrate it gradually through experience. So that, your question was about where, where does the data come from? I, I hope that answers it. I could probably go on even longer, but um, does that give you I'm enough? I'm fascinated by this. I'm just sat there going like, this is ingenious. Um, the, the, so when it comes to obviously like building these, so you've got all the data points, you take all of this, and then you're basically helping an, an SME with, like you mentioned it earlier, or I think you said it as um, an action plan, right? What yeah. needs to be done, what they need to be to be focused on. Yeah. Is the action plan more based on the high level principles for the for them as a business, or is it kind of almost the get this done today, like an actual kind of this is something to go do, run away now, not high level think about, but actually go and uh, and go and do this now? 
It's a mixture, to be honest. Um, the, the, the first thing that the subscriber does when they join the platform is they enter what their goals are because AI is so blink and clever that it can actually understand what you're trying to do as well. So you might put in things like, I want to increase market share. Or you might say, I'd like to attract non-users, or I want to increase usage amongst users. I mean, whatever it is that you're trying to achieve in a marketing goal. Say, get more listeners for a podcast. Indeed, that you can put that. <laughs> um, so, so the AI says, okay, well, that's what they're trying to do. It also gives you the opportunity to, to enter your resources. Like, we could afford an above-the-line campaign. We can't. We've got two million quid to spare, you know, but we won't do TV. I mean, you can make it as, as molecular or... Uh, granular as as you like. And so whatever we're picking up as our intelligence, we're then beginning to match to your resources. So it's practical. It's not going to be nonsense that, you know, like there's no point telling you you need new packaging when you did it a month ago already. You know, like it's just annoying. So or, you know, or go buy a Super Bowl ad when you've yeah. only got sort of 50 grand cash to spare. Exactly. So so it, it tends to be from that union of we come with our data, you come with you know, your objectives, and let's that be the start point. Then um, in an increasingly nuanced way, it can be, you know, for your strategy, you know, you need to think about. For your content creation, which is much more daily and, you know, of the moment, this is what you need to do. And then in terms of your monitoring of progress and how you might want to be alerted to a competitor doing something which could outflank you unless you're aware of it and to which you can have an action plan to respond, you, you kind of get a slightly midterm thing. So you, you can get the big picture, you can ask for it, you can get the day-to-day, and then you can just get a constant kind of sentry that, you know, says, alert, you know, somebody's dropped their prices by 30%, and, you know, they were already ahead of you on value for money, so what are you going to do about it? You know, we suggest you do this. Um, so it's a mixture, and, and the, the action plans always come with options, with the one that we most recommend, but other ones which, you know, you, you might not be able to do the one we most recommend. So you're not left thinking, well, I can't do that. There are other ones as well. I think, again, uh, there's so much out there and there's so much to do. Um, I think just before we sort of uh, hit the record button, you know, if people like to listen to Gary Vee, and I'm a fan of about 2% of the stuff that he talks about, um, but often talking about, you know, this idea of create 120 pieces of content every day, go and you'll be you know you're going to do great and you know i'm sure you would because with those sorts of numbers you're definitely going to have a couple of pieces of content they're going to do well and they're going to get picked up with a little bit more interest the, the reality of it is we don't have the time as small business owners or running a small business or when you've got a small team it's impossible to do everything we have to pick and choose you have to prioritize what are some of the, the biggest things that you've seen especially for well i guess actually there's two things let's take it back is there a big difference between the strategies or the system and the way that you guys have analyzed this for brands when it comes to sort of services versus products do you find that there's a big difference in in that side of things and does the logic then is the logic and the understanding behind that slightly different when it's not a product or when it's a service instead uh it's it's a good question i mean we're we're still young and and so i can't pretend that we know everything about everything in every category and and we will see, but the and and our focus has been on B to C. So you know we're not doing B to B brands yet. But we we will in the future. Um, Sorry, didn't mean to put you on the spot. <laughs> no, it's, no, it's, it, it's a good question. I, I don't mind us being young. I mean, we're 
we're doing something pretty special and we're, we're doing okay. We, we've got some interesting outliers. Like we've got a, a couple of very famous global musician superstars on our platform. One in particular has gone on because he, he had a beef with um, another global superstar and was deemed by the world to have been very mean to her. And he's trying to, to you know, sort out how his brand can be rebuilt. It's quite difficult talking to a global superstar about their performance and their empathy and things, but, you know, we're, we're doing that. Another of the musicians who was put on was put on by his management company because they thought he was too fat. <laughs> so, they, sorry? <laughs> too, as in, like, just too just, fat? Just too bloody fat to be on stage, and he had to sort it out, and, they, and he wasn't listening to them. So, you know, we had to provide, you know, clear data that showed that his aspiration and attraction scores were, were waning with the increase in his waistline. Um, <laughs> so, so, so some of it's pretty big, heavy stuff, and some of it is just like really like just tell him he's fat. Um, yeah. He's got to sort himself out and get a trainer. So You can um, imagine the brand guys. Who, who's going to tell him? No, no, no. I found this new software. We'll get AI exactly. to tell him. And then technically it's none of our fault. It's a computer. That's exactly the way it happened. That's exactly how it happened. Um, so, you know, b- between looking at vegan brands in the, in the baby food market and global superstars about their waistlines, and um, we, we've had quite a lot of variety. And, and actually, the truth is that for every brand, there is a category. And in every category, there are needs. Some of those needs, um, a bit like Uber discovered, you know, in the personal transport market, were previously unimportant, and they made them important, and that's how they succeeded. So we don't just kind of ignorantly or kind of lamely follow, you know, well, these are the needs, so that's what we have to satisfy. It's like we say, here are the current needs. There is an opportunity. Don't know if it will work, you know, over here to to alight upon these other needs and and make them your locomotive force for your your success. Um, But I, I suppose, you know, let me say it clearly, Every brand exists in a category. Every category has needs which you can identify. And usually in every category, there are competitors. That's a triangle. And somewhere in that triangle, there's a space for you. And, and it operates, our software operates the same way um, for every category and every brand. What would you say some of the fundamentals are for, for younger businesses, especially in that SME space, for, for when it comes to their branding? What, what are some of the real basics that they should all be looking at and making sure they're doing, especially in the early days? We, we, we've got 16 drivers, you know, of relationships, and, and they can all light up at different times as being super important in, in different categories. Some are seductive, you know, like whether you're um, attractive, whether you seem to have a kind of sense of innovation, whether you're kind of people are drawn to you um, because of those things. And some of them are persuasive, like, easy to access, reasonable value for money. You know, some are like the promise and some are the proof. Um, I often liken it to, you know, if you interview somebody to, to start a job, you do three interviews, you like them, you think they're going to be great, and they arrive and after a week you see that they spill their coffee on your laptop every day and they've got terrible breath and they, they don't do any work. Like, you, you just didn't know that at the interview. Brands are a bit the same. Like, they have a promise and then a proof. We call it seduction and persuasion. I think newish brands 
cannot succeed purely on persuasion. So you, you can have the best distribution, best pricing, and all the rest of it, even the best product. Um, but you won't succeed if you, if you don't nail some of the seductive drivers as well. And of those, I think particularly with young brands that do well, one of the most important is empathy. The, the demonstration of understanding the need that you're serving in your, in your customer base is, is just, it's so obvious. But the better you are at articulating and manifesting that, the more likely you are to get traction. I think it's probably the most important one. I was reading uh, Alex Hormozzi's book. I don't know if you've come across him. Um, uh, set up acquisition.com consults, but sort of at much higher sort of business levels. But anyway, I wrote a book. And one of the things, it's a super simple exercise, but exactly what you're talking about, starting off by what is the problem, not just that your product does, but in that whole space around that product, all the problems that are that could be around that. And then also not only just to understand that in as much detail as you can as an entrepreneur, but also to then flip that. So what are, what would the solutions look like for each and every one of those problems within that kind of category, within your sector, niche, or particular product or service? And it was interesting because we were listening to this. We started running very similar exercises with some of the customers and the clients that we were working with. And it's it's almost terrifying that lots of people haven't taken the time when they're setting up their businesses or when they're starting to actually address who it is that they're doing this for, what it is that they're actually trying to solve. Is there actually a real problem or is it just something that you wanted to do? Um, but actually digging into that and making it a core part of what you're doing so that you can really know what it is that you're doing, what it is that they're trying to achieve, what it is that you can help them with and how that whole process works. And I think that you're right. The, the empathy part plays such an important role when people can see that you understand where they're at and what issues they're having or what it is that they're going to struggle with or any other part of that. I think that makes a really big difference for, for, for lots of people. I, yeah, I, I completely agree. And, and I think it's interesting that there are many different birth routes to a brand. I mean, sometimes it's just that the founder wishes to manifest and share the values that he or she has in the form of a brand. And so they say, this is the way I want it to go. Other times it's a much more kind of analytical birth. You know, I see that there's a gap in the market. You know, every brand in this category is premium. So why don't we do a value for money one, you know? And instead of it being older, let's make it younger, like whiskey, you know, a young, fun whiskey brand. There are some of them now, but, you know, 20 years ago, they're all fuddy-duddy and kind of orange papered, you know, upright bottles. So, so there are many different births to it, but I think it would be really rare to have a brand succeed that didn't have a strong expression of empathy with its customer base. Really. Yeah. We talk about it a lot. We say this to everyone. And on this show, I don't know how many times I've said it, but get to know your customers, understand them, talk to them, listen to them. They know best in the sense of what they're struggling with. They may not know best in terms of what they think they need or what they actually need or anything like that, but just listen to them. Ask them. If you've signed your first couple of clients, ask them to have a 20-minute chat with you and explain, and you can ask them questions and get in detail and try and really figure out what they're doing. And you'd be amazed the difference that makes. And again, it's such a great way to build a relationship, right? Just have a conversation. Well, I mean, listening to people is not the enemy of creativity. 
You know, understanding people and knowing what they want does not preclude you from giving them something they didn't expect that you have thought of. You know, but just listen to them. Get get the basic substrate in before you, you know, as part of your foundations before you start building your edifice. I always had a teacher at school that used to say, you know, you've got two ears and one mouth. You should do twice as much listening and half as much talking. Um, Nadim, listen, thank you so much for this. Before we shoot off, uh, where can people find you online? Where can people find out more about ProQuo AI as well? Well, to, to look at ProQuo AI, which is much more interesting than looking at me, just go to ProQuoAI.com, which is P-R-O-Q-U-O-A-I.com. Um, and then I'm knocking around on most social media platforms doing silly videos on Instagram, but they're not really worth looking at. And on LinkedIn, of course, if you want to be in touch. We will add those to the uh, to the show notes as well. Nadine, thank you so much for your time today. It's a pleasure. Thanks for chatting to me and having me. The All About Digital Marketing podcast is brought to you by Social Inc., a distributed digital marketing agency specialized in delivering results through online campaigns. Whether it's content marketing, social media marketing, online advertising, or web design, we've got you covered from strategy through to delivery. If you're struggling with your digital marketing, get in touch today by simply visiting www.socialinc.co.